G'day Sports by Fry fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast. Happy Sunday Arvo, coming at you with another Fast Five. Plenty to talk about, a couple of AFL draft things, some NBA news, and then previewing week 13 in the NFL. I'm going to start with the AFL though, the draft's coming up on Wednesday night. I'm currently in the works of making my AFL best case scenario for every team heading into the draft, and there's some teams that really need to nail this draft over others. It's going to be very interesting to see how the first round plays out because there's a couple of bids for a couple of players that should get matched, but that could just reshape how the first round does unfold. And if it does, then we could see a couple of teams lose valuable picks in later rounds, which might mean there might be some diamonds in the rough out there. Frio Dockers, obviously, they've done everything they can to try and move up as high as possible in the draft order. I think it was smart on their behalf to move into pick 8 from pick 10. Carlton hovers around pick 9, and they were someone that was probably going to put a bid in on Liam Henry, the next generation academy prospect for the Dockers. So because Frio now owns pick 7 and 8, they might be able to draft two young, talented dudes, and then when a bid comes for Henry, probably outside the top 10 now, they'll be able to snap him up and walk away with a pretty handy draft hand. The Giants are in a very similar position with Tom Green. We saw that his academy season was pretty good for the GWS squad, and he'll probably become a Giant, I don't think, regardless of where a bid comes for him, they'll let him walk. So they traded up to pick four, taking that pick off the Crows last week. So I think it'd be wise for them to probably chase Hayden Young, the halfback flanker, but they've been linked to Luke Jackson. Now, the Demons apparently are really pressing for him at pick three. And while Jackson has been compared to Brody Grundy and is a bit of a key forward slash ruckman, I don't know if it really fits a lot for Melbourne. Obviously, you want to kind of take a best player available approach in the draft, but I don't know if Luke Jackson really does mesh with what Melbourne needs for their roster. Makes sense, I guess, from a key forward prospect, but they've already got Max Gorn, who's probably going to be their number one ruckman for at least the next half a dozen years, probably most of the next decade. So maybe Jackson makes sense inside 50, but he seems like a natural ruckman. So if I was the D's, I probably wouldn't go for Jackson, and the Giants would happily snap up Luke Jackson at pick four. Gold Coast Suns is another team that's going to be very interesting to watch. We're pretty much assured of what's going to happen at pick one and two. They're going to take Matt Rowe and then Noah Anderson, most likely in that order, but they also own pick 15 and pick 20. So it's going to be crucial for the Suns to nail those two ladder picks because I think they can't really keep affording to trade back and get future assets. They need to get some kids into the system that are going to start contributing. I really like the looks of key defenders like Fisher Mackesee or Josh Worrell for the Suns. Maybe one of them at 15 makes a lot of sense. And then a classy ball user like Trent Bianco with pick 20 would be ideal for Gold Coast. There'll be plenty that'll unfold throughout draft night. There's no more trades that are able to be made leading into draft night, but Wednesday we could see a couple of pick swaps that makes things unfold differently. But I'd be very surprised if Liam Henry didn't become a docker. Tom Green didn't become a giant. And then another bloke to think about is Finn McGuinness from the Hawks. He is a former father-son or current father-son uh, prospect that should go to Hawthorne, but they currently have pick 11. So much like the Dockers and the Giants, they'll be hoping that no one is interested in McGuinness before pick 11, but plenty to unfold. And Wednesday night should be very, very interesting to watch.
Second topic in today's Fast Five, I want to talk about the LA Clippers. Currently tied for the third best record in the West at 11-5. and five. The Clippers, I think, are going to start to hit their straps and really put the rest of the league on notice. I've gone back and thoroughly watched a lot of their last couple of games against the Rockers and the Clippers, mainly focusing on the last quarter and the overtime of that Celtics game. And honestly, I don't know how LA is going to be able to be stopped if they can stay healthy and start to gel as a unit. Lou Williams is the ultimate third best option out there. We saw teams like Miami and even a little bit Golden State when they had the big three of Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. If you've got a lethal scorer as your third best option in quotation marks, then it's going to be hard to shut down all these players come playoff time. Lou Will obviously works really well with Montrez Harrell. For a couple of years now, they've both been viewed as the best bench players in the entire NBA. And this goes without even mentioning Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who haven't played much together yet, so I only expect them to start to understand each games, each other's games better. And yeah, I really think the Clippers are poised to become a bit of a juggernaut out west. Now, they do only have a couple of years contracted with the Clippers, but if they hang around, it might not equal multiple titles. It might not even mean that they achieve a title, but I think that this team is going to achieve a hell of a lot of success. And if Kawhi and Paul George can stay healthy and stay in LA, there's no reason why the Clippers won't be super relevant for at least the next half a dozen years. Sticking with the NBA, the next topic on today's Fast Five are some perceived changes that might be coming to an NBA season near you. Now granted, all these things I'm about to mention can't come into effect until the 2021-2022 season, so there are some changes potentially on the horizon though that could shape up how an NBA season unfolds. First thing that's being talked about is the NBA is looking at reseeding the top four in each conference when it comes into the semi-finals of the playoffs, so essentially that means the last eight teams in the playoffs would match up based on records. So we could see, for example, maybe the Clippers going up against someone like the Miami Heat, if that's a one and an eight matchup. Basically shuffling around so there's no more conference aligning matchups like traditionally we've seen for years in the past. It'll be interesting to see what approach the NBA takes with this. I'm all for it, to be honest. I mean, I understand the history behind the East versus the West, but... Multiple times we've seen in a conference finals the best two teams play and then we get to the NBA finals and it's been a bit of a walkover or a bit of a non-event. Of course, it's never over till it's over. We saw Detroit upset uh, the Lakers a couple of years back in what was deemed as a, uh, an uninteresting finals matchup. So anything is possible, but I'm not, uh, not against reseeding the top four in each conference and essentially making the last eight a one through eight matchup. Another thing that's being discussed by the NBA is a 30-team in-season tournament. So the way that this essentially works, after a little bit of digging that I've done, is the teams in each division would play off against one another, and then the division winners would then advance into a tournament with two other wildcard teams, and that would essentially set up an eight-team bracket that would compete, similar to what a lot of soccer teams do, like the English Cup. I don't know how they would uh, deem the winner of each tournament. If it was a single-game knockout style, maybe the team that wins it all gets something off the salary cap. Maybe they get an additional first-round pick at the end of the first round. Who knows? Something like that. But that's intriguing. Don't really love the sounds of it. But I can see why the NBA wants to include potentially some more changes and make uh, the regular season not as long of a grind. The last thing that they're talking about changing, and this I'm a big fan of, is making the last couple of seeds in each conference a play-in tournament. So the 7th versus 8th seeded teams would play each other, and the ninth versus 10th 
ranked teams in each conference would play each other. Seven and eight would clash, and whoever wins that gets the seven seed. The loser would then play the winner of the nine and ten matchup, and the winner of that match would then get the eighth seed. I can understand why some people would be a little bit against rewarding a team that potentially finishes tenth in the conference with a playoff spot, but... Yeah, I can. I don't know. I, I am a fan of it, and I can see why some people wouldn't be, but I've got to try and shake it up somehow. One of the ideas that I like is maybe shortening the first round of the playoffs back to five games. That was something that they had going on during the 80s and 90s that I think could make sense because a lot of those first round series, especially between the one and eight and two and seven seeds, usually leads to four game blowouts. So if they shortened it to five games, maybe that makes it more appealing. I don't know. All of these changes that they're discussing obviously won't be in for a couple of years, but it'll be interesting to see over the next few years what does come to fruition and if any of these changes do become part of the regular NBA season. Turning my attention to the NFL now, fourth topic in the Fast Five, I want to discuss a bit of fantasy football. I am all in this week on the Cleveland Browns riding the ship against the Miami Dolphins. They've got a pretty easy schedule in the back half of the season, and I think People who've owned the likes of Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham would be very frustrated, but you can start both of those dudes with a lot of confidence this week. I have, in fact, I'm declaring that Baker Mayfield and Odell will have season highs in points this week. I hope they don't burn me, especially as an owner of both players in a couple of leagues, but it's been a frustrating season to date for the Browns and a good time to match up against the Miami Dolphins and it could lead to a lot of fantasy numbers as well. Matt Ryan is another player who should score a lot of fantasy numbers this week. The Falcons are matching up with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who, if you don't know, have a pretty lackluster defense. So not only could Matt Ryan be in for a big day out, but his main wide receiver, Julio Jones, who, once again, strangely, hasn't been getting into the end zone, could be in for a big day as well. Don't have a huge amount of faith in their running back in Brian Hill, who a lot of people jumped on after Devontae Freeman went out. He's out as long, along with uh, Edo Smith, if you don't know. So Brian Hill will be the RB1 for the Falcons this week. And he might get a couple of catches, especially if Matt Ryan's on fire, but I don't think they'll be running the ball a hell of a lot, and I don't think Hill will be in for a huge day out either. But yeah, I expect the Falcons to put up a ton of points and a ton of yardage, so that means Matt Ryan will have some numbers to impress from a fantasy perspective. A couple of other things that I like the looks of, Steelers' defense and their now starting running back, Jalen Samuels, should both be good against Cincinnati this week. If you don't know, the Bengals haven't won a game all season, and there's a reason behind that. They don't have a lot of talent under center, and uh, Andy Dalton has already been benched for, I can't even remember his name, Ryan Finley, that's right. He's currently the Bengals quarterback, so if I'm struggling to remember your name, chances are you're not that great at football. So the Steelers' D could be in for a huge day out, and considering the Steelers would be missing a couple of main weapons, I wouldn't be surprised if Jalen Samuels had a feast of a day from a fantasy perspective as well couple of players that I want to steer away from, I'm avoiding starting anyone involved in the Bills and Broncos game. Not only do I not trust either team's offense, but it, that seems like the match that could just go either way, and the Bills don't really have a habit of scoring a lot of points regardless, neither do Denver actually for that matter, so someone like Josh Allen, even Devon Singletary, the starting back for the Buffalo, I'll probably be benching either of those dudes if I had them in my league. I know that there's a lot of players potentially on bye weeks, so you might not have that luxury, but if you do, that's definitely the path I would go down, and a little bit of an unpopular opinion, but I'd also look at benching Cortland Sutton, the Broncos' main wide receiver. He's been pretty great this season, putting forth a top 10 wide receiver caliber season, but 
I can't trust him against the Bills. Bills are a great defense, even if they uh, don't impress with a lot of their offensive skills. But yeah, I'll be avoiding starting anyone in that Bills-Broncos game, to be honest. That's enough from a fantasy perspective. The fifth and final topic for today's Fast Five, previewing some of these big games in Week 13. There's a lot of games that I'm really not interested in at all, so I'm not going to waste a lot of your time, but the last two games of the Sunday slate I think are easily the best ones up for grabs. We've got the Dallas Cowboys heading to New England to clash with the Patriots, and this is really a matchup of Dallas's passing attack against New England's stellar defense. So as an owner of Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper, I'll be hoping that Dallas's passing game is on point, but I wouldn't be surprised if New England shuts them down. This game has huge ramifications in uh, the NFC East standings, and Dallas will be striving for a victory, obviously, but they really do need this W. I think the Eagles' schedule is pretty cruisy for the rest of the way through the year, so Dallas needs every win that they can get. They currently hold the tiebreaker over Philly, so they've got a bit of breathing room, but it's no easy task beating the New England Patriots, especially at home. So if their passing game isn't on point, that could spell doom for the Cowboys. I'll probably side with New England. I can't really pick against Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, who is apparently under an injury injury cloud, but I'm sure will start. So I'll side with the Pats to get the W there. The final game on the slate is the Aaron Rodgers-led Green Bay Packers taking on the 49ers. Pretty epic matchup, let's be honest. The 49ers' defense against Aaron Rodgers is worth the price of admission alone, so I have a strange feeling that Rodgers is going to do something weird, though. I know the Niners' defense has been lauded for what they've achieved through the first 11, 12 games of the year, but Aaron Rodgers is starting to hit his straps. I think the Packers' defense is probably... A little bit better than a lot of people think. So for that reason, I think that Rodgers will get the upset on the road. And that'll be a huge win in the context of the NFC conference standings. I know that a lot of the teams up the top, those two that I've already talked about, and the New Orleans Saints are trying to vie for a first-round buy by claiming one of those first two seeds. So this could have, again, big ramifications on the rest of the playoff standings in the NFC. Speaking of the New Orleans Saints, just very quickly, they're taking on the Carolina Panthers at home this week. And... Carolina's season is virtually on the line this week. Christian McCaffrey has put up unreal numbers. And quick shout-out to CMC for becoming the sixth ever running back to achieve a 99 rating on Madden. But he can only do so much. And I think New Orleans will pretty much end Carolina's year this year, or this weekend, with a W in NOLA. Last team I want to discuss is the Oakland Raiders. They're taking on the New York Jets. And if they win, they'll stunningly move to 7-4. and four. I don't think any of us thought the Raiders would be achieving a hell of a lot this year. So if they can get to 7-4 and four and be right in that wildcard mix, then there's no reason why they can't ride this form into another couple of Ws and, surprisingly, make the playoffs. That's all I've got for this Fast Five on a Sunday. Hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. Going to come back tomorrow and talk about my AFL Best Case Scenario article that will be up some point tonight, so make sure you give that a view. But if not, you can listen to the audio version looking at each eight, each of the 18 AFL squads. But thanks for listening to this episode. Enjoy the rest of your week. Until next time, 